And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him the kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul, that I may show him the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. No, I'm not going to Second Samuel yet. We're still in Luke. But I asked my buddy Aaron to come preach for me because uh, I've been out of town. So I brought the kids to a taekwondo tournament and they did really well. So I'm out of a lot of money. And then I went to a conference with some of the church folks here, and uh, that was just a really great conference, and we're just processing through all of that. And so I asked my buddy Aaron, who preached for you guys here last week, to share again. I have a a like heart like him in terms of reaching folks in uh, the urban area. He's in Richmond, not in San Francisco, but the real Richmond, in a place that uh, is pretty rough. If any of you ever wondered if God was real... You need to ask Aaron his testimony. And he probably shared that with some of you last week. But if any of you question if Jesus is real, you need to ask Aaron how he changed his life. Aaron, I'd like to pray for you. Lord, I lift up my brother to you. Thank you so much for calling him, his wife, his team to minister in Richmond. Pray, Lord, for your blessing upon him that as he's toiling and working hard the soil these past three and a half years in Richmond, Lord, that your blessings would just flow upon him. Holy Spirit, fill him with your words this morning. Uh, We desire to receive from you in Mm. Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. Um, It is good to be here again. It was such an honor to be here last week, and I just told my family, my wife and kids, just whenever we get a, a week off, and uh, at Living Hope in Richmond, we want to come here and worship because I just appreciated how everybody was very gracious and welcoming um, in spite of the fact I went like 45 minutes when I was preaching. So 
it's really cool to be back here. And I guess I'll start off with asking the question as we look at this story, um, is God good? What do you say again? Somebody says something. Is God good? Okay, cool. All right. So we got some good Baptists in here, I think. So, um, but, um, I think like when we ask that question, our immediate response is, oh yeah, all the time. Um, God really is good. But I also think that sometimes it's not as easy to answer as others. Sometimes it's not as quick of an answer. And you just think about the fact that life throws curveballs at us and life gets crazy and unexpected things happen, hurtful things happen, tragic things happen. And it's in those moments where that question, is God good, isn't as easy to answer. Like when you have a miscarriage or multiple miscarriages, is God good? Or when finances are really rough or you lose a job, is God good? If you're in a marriage that seems to be just unraveling at those moments, is God good? You know, I've been in ministry now. I'm still very young in this, but for about 12 years full-time ministry, and one of the things that I think is one of the secrets of the church is that there are many people in the church who are actually mad at God. And of course, they're not saying it. Of course, they're not coming out and saying, hey, I'm just mad at God. Some of us do, but I really believe that because of the world we live in and the things we go through and the unexpected things that tend to hit our life, that there are moments in our life where we're actually angry at God. God hasn't done for us what we expected him to do. And it's in those moments where we say, is God good? And there's been times where I've asked that question. and I've thought, no, no, not right now. Not right now. And of course, He is, but at those moments, it's just tough to believe that. So I believe that the church is filled with people who are secretly angry at God because they believe God has allowed things to happen in their life that has brought forth pain. They haven't got the job. They had the miscarriage. They're not married yet, and they're tired of being single. And so inwardly and secretly, people are mad at God. And I wanted to ask the question, like as we prepare for this story, is is like, what is the cure for us who are secretly and inwardly mad toward God, these hidden hurts that we have. And I think the way that we can do that this morning is whether we're mad at God or not, I think we're going to be encouraged is to actually look deep at the character of God and discover his goodness afresh to study the scriptures and like look for the answer to the question of what is God really like? Because I do think, again, that we struggle with this question more often than we like to admit. And I think today's story, which Stefan just read, is a story of God's goodness. And it informs us how God has shown his goodness toward us for those of us who are struggling. And at the end, I would love for us to know without a shadow of the doubt that God actually is good. That he really is good and we can say that with confidence. Let's practice something here. So I'm going to say it now, and then we're going to say it at the end if I remember. So when I say God is good, you say all the time, and then I say all the time, and you say God is good. Just we're going to be cool church people in here. So God is good. All the time. 
And all the time. All right. And at the end of this, I just pray that we actually believe that and that we leave this place for those of us who are hurting and broken and tired of doing the the church thing and just want a real experience with God. That we could actually leave this place and say, man, God really is good. And I think this story will help us do that. So I want to tell the story in its historical context and then just take some spiritual truths from that. Okay, we won't be long this morning, but the ninth chapter of Second Samuel opens with David remembering a covenant he had made with Jonathan. So it opens with this covenant. David remembering that he said that he was going to show goodness to his best friend, Jonathan. And this was a covenant that was made while Saul, who was the king at that time, was actually trying to kill David. And yet Jonathan knew that David was the anointed king, that he would soon be on the throne. And Jonathan came to David and asked him for a favor. He said, man, I need you to look after my family. Samuel twenty fourteen through 16, 1 Samuel, it says, You shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live. This is Jonathan speaking, that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So we fast forward. This is what what happened that Jonathan said, look, I know you're going to be the king. I know that God's hand is on your life. And even though my father, my own flesh and blood is the king right now and he wants to kill you. I believe God and what he has said. And I believe that you're going to be on the throne. And I just want to ask you, please show mercy not only to me while I live, but also to the rest of my household. And so fast forward, now all the descendants of Saul are killed. They're dead. Saul and his regime is over and done with. Even Jonathan, tragically, is dead. And this was typical of the time. This was typical that when the regime changes, the incoming king would kill everybody. Anybody of the descendants of the former king would be wiped out. So this is typical. And we're at a place now where all the descendants are dead. They are dead. Except for one. There was one lone survivor. A young boy named Mephibosheth. And by the way, I picked this story because of God's goodness. But also, I just like to hear people try to pronounce that name. (laughs) Stefan did a great job. Stefan, you did a great job, but see, I'm not going to do that this whole time, so I'm just going to call him Bo, okay? So Mephibosheth, there's a B-O in there, I'm going to call him Bo. Everybody cool with Bo? So there was one lone survivor, a young boy named Mephibosheth, who was the son of Jonathan. Second Samuel 4.4, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame and his name was Bo. So you got to think about this guy named Bo. This guy was pretty much doomed and under the sentence of death the very day he was born because he was born in the house of Saul, a king who was about to be dethroned. 
And according to the custom of that day, this boy was part of a family that was under the sentence of death because of an incoming king. And the practice in that day was this. Should someone overthrow a reigning king and assume his throne, his first act as the new king would be to kill every relative of the former king. And this was done to assure that none of them would somehow lead this revolt and try to take revenge for the throne that was once their kinfolk. So he was born into a jacked up situation, man. He was born into the wrong family. And most of the time when a reigning king seeks out for the remaining descendants, it meant death. So here we pick up this story where David says this, is there anybody else in the house of Saul? So you could imagine that Mephibosheth, when he heard that the king was seeking him out, was like, oh, that's it. I'm the lone survivor. I'm the last remnant of what once was. I mean, it is over for me. And this is why you see in the story that Mephibosheth or Bo fell on the ground soon as he saw the king and bowed down and almost like worshipped him. Because he's like, man, I already know what's about to come. I already know that I am doomed. But the interesting thing that David did here, this is the goodness part we're going to get into, was he made it clear from his request that he wanted to actually show Bo kindness. If you look at 2 Samuel 9, verses 6 and 7, this is our passage. It says, And Bo, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Bo! And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So you see, this is the context of this story. It is a story of a promise that was kept and a wonderful story of undeserved redemption. And I think what we could do is draw a lot of parallels from this story about our own spiritual condition. Now, granted, I want to be careful because I think that sometimes we could take Old Testament passages and really mess them up and try to spiritualize them without looking at the context. That's why I wanted to share what was actually going on. But this particular passage, this story, which is one chapter long and then it goes on to craziness after this. It actually lends us a license To actually draw these spiritual applications without forcing it in there. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to just go look at a few spiritual applications found in this story. Number one, you guys with me? All right, we're going to fly through these. There's about five of them. So you guys with me? Say amen. All right, cool. Number one, what spiritual application can we draw from this? The first one is, is we too were crippled because of a fall. One guy explained the state of Mephibosheth or Bo in this way. In my imagination, the very thought of David makes Mephibosheth gnash his teeth. Oh, that he could dethrone David and make himself the king because he was 
the last lone survivor of the former king. In my mind, I can see Bo as he crawls around the miserable hovel he calls home. He is in hiding from David and frightened that he might be found out. He is a crippled refugee with royal blood in his veins, but yet living in poverty. He was born in a palace, but now is living in poverty and misery. He is filled with fear and anger and hate and utter frustration. And when you listen to that description of him, I think it is accurate. We often see Bo as maybe just this sort of poor dude, but according to customs, like he was supposed to be king. He was the rightful owner to the throne because of his lineage. And yet, as he was born in a palace, here he is afraid and exiled and in a place where he's just angry and frustrated and mad. He was crippled because of a fall. And the above description of this crippled man is exactly what we are as human beings when we are born. We who are created in the very image of God to enjoy him forever have been crippled because of a fall. And we like Bo have set ourselves against the king. By nature we have done this. Why? Because we want the throne of our own lives. We want to be king of our own little worlds, our own little dominion. We want these things, but yet because of a fall, we are disqualified by birth. We hate the idea of a king in our place, just like Bo did. I mean, you guys might be thinking, not me. No, we are born hating the fact that God says that I'm king. And if you don't believe that about yourself... Because I certainly do about me. If Think about those moments when you're, if you're married, you're in an argument. And you know you're wrong with your spouse. You know you're wrong. But yet, what do you do? Oh, unless it's, I'm the only heathen in this room. <laughs> what do I do? Okay, I'll just say I, since you guys are got the halos over your head. What do I do? I rise up. And I say, man, no. This is my place. This is my domain here. And I rise up and I say, no one is going to threaten my throne, which I call home. Now, my wife would obviously disagree with this whole story. But I think there is something in all of us where we feel we should be the ruler of our own lives. And we say things even in a very positive life, like life is what you make of it. And I am in control of my own destiny. See, this is exactly The state that we're in, we are born wanting to be in control of everything. Some of us are angry at God right now because things seem out of control. Things seem out of our hands. We don't feel in control. We feel like our throne, which we want to hold on to, has been taken from us. We want power. We are good at putting ourselves on the throne and bowing to ourselves. And this is why Paul describes all of mankind in this way. In Romans 1, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish hearts were darkened. He's talking about humanity. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the God, glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and even birds and animals and creeping things. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, by nature, we want to reign just like Bo felt like he should be the king, felt like he was frustrated. We, by nature, want to do the same thing. But I love the fact of Scripture, the truth of Scripture that says that even though we want that, we can do nothing about the fact that there is a king on the throne and he cannot be dethroned. As much as we want to do that in our daily lives, he is saying, no, look, the truth of scripture is, is that there is a king who is entrenched. He is enthroned and there is no way to move him. And scripture gives us that reality. It gives us that perspective. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his thrones in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all he alone sets on the throne and here's what we don't like he makes all the rules he makes all the rules and just as Bo was physically and emotionally crippled we too are born spiritually crippled by the fall and if left to ourselves we will only fight and claw for supremacy in this world We will also be frustrated and bitter and angry and mad at God in this life unless he does something. And to make matters even worse, this guy, for example, was born in a place called Lodabar. The word Lodabar means a place of no pasture. I mean, when you look at Bo, you think, man, this guy is in a pitiful state. There is no pasture for him. And yet when we are born into sin, this is how we are. Frustrated, angry, and fighting for supremacy in this world. Many of you might be wondering why I might be taking this time to bring such a depressing message. But this is actually good for us to ponder. And and there's two types of people in this room. There are Christians in this room. And let me just say this to you, Christian. When is the last time you pondered what you were before Christ? Do you realize what you were before Christ? Before Christ invaded your life and saved you. You were dead, frustrated, fighting for supremacy that you could not have. You were blind and crippled spiritually. And you were in desperate need for someone to step in. And there was no way you could provide for yourself forgiveness or salvation. And because of this, we were headed, all of us, when we were born, toward a literal place of separation from God. But God stepped in. And Christian, the reason why I bring up this is who we used to be is because we would do well, saints, to think of what God has saved us from. And it's not our righteousness, but it is God who has saved us. 
This is why Paul says, and by the way, I'm just going to be reading scripture and letting scripture speak for itself. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 5, one of my favorite passages, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, it, it, Christian, we need to take this spiritual application of this spiritually this he was physically and emotionally but we are spiritually crippled because of a fall but thanks be to God that he has stepped in why because it says in verse 4 because of the great love with which he loved us then it says even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ I think that one good exercise for us as Christians is to, on occasion, think about who we were before Christ invaded our life so that the joy of our salvation would not be lost. Friend, if you are here and you know that Christ or you're on the fence and you know that Christ hasn't saved you, you're still fighting for supremacy in your own life. You're still fighting for control. I would just say quit trying to save yourself and be the king of your own little world because there is a real king who is on the throne and there is nothing that you can do about it. Now, granted, I don't know who's in this room. I don't know if it's full of Christians and I pray that it is, but I imagine that every church has people in it who are not Christians. So this is why I speak to you and I call you friend and I just say, man, Find rest in something other than yourself. The problem is too big for you to handle. Confess that you are spiritually disabled and that you are in desperate need of assistance. This is what Bo did. You look at it in verse 8. It says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. He is admitting his desperation. And this is a good thing in the eyes of the Lord. First Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. See we need to if you are here and you are not Calling on Jesus, you need to call on the real king to save you. And your encouragement is this before we go to our second point. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this concept of salvation is what we're going to see in this next portion of the story. So what do we first see? That Bo, in his jacked up state, that we are like him spiritually. That we are angry, frustrated, spiritually crippled because of a fall. And we need someone to intervene on our behalf. And so 
Let's get into the good, good part. Number two, so we are like Bo because we are spiritually crippled. Guess what else? This is the great thing. We too were sought by a king. Sought out by a king. Second Samuel 9, 3 through 5. Look at our passage. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is the house of Mercur, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mercur, the son of Amiel. At Lodabar, David went out and sought this lost son. David was the one who was intentional. David was the one who was making himself known to this man. And remember, this usually, this seeking out was to destroy. But David said, no, I'm coming. I'm seeking you out to show you kindness. And it's the same thing with us and God. God has taken the initiative. God has made himself known to us. Jesus came into the world to make himself known to those who were not even looking for him. Jesus came to find those which is lost. Luke 19.10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And that should bring us joy this morning. For those of us who are born spiritually crippled because of a fall, there was a king who was enthroned on high and he came after us. He sought us out. One guy said this, the mission of Christ in one aspect of it is said to be a search for that which is lost. An effort to find and to rescue from degradation and shame those who are living below their proper position. In the spiritual life. You see we aren't the ones. Who are seeking after God. But God is the one who seeks after us. And let that sink into your heart this morning. Especially for those of us. Who have been Christians for a long time. And we've grown numb. That God. Has sought you out. As you were spiritually. Crippled. By a fall. Think about that. You and I were hiding in our self-absorbed existence and God came and found us. Even though we weren't looking for him. And we should be thankful. But not only should we be thankful of what God has done, we need to actually live this example out ourselves. Church, it is time for us to look at this story and how a king goes after the desperate And we need to say Jesus has done that for us, but we also need to say we need to be doing that to the world. Church, we have to get to a place where we go out and we find the desperate. We seek them out. Why? For destruction? No. To get them out of the way so our life could be better? No. To show them kindness. To show them the love of God. And I pray earnestly that we take this great commission from Jesus to go into the world and to show kindness to people. That we take it as a commandment and not an option. Which of us in this room have taken that as an option instead of a commandment? We have to go and seek out 
those who are lost and desperate and crippled. And we are to show them kindness. Number two was we too were sought out by a king. Number three, we too are outcasts and unworthy. Number four, we too have an inheritance with the king. Remember in the story, he says, look, everything. And I even mentioned this last week, and I hope that we hear it again this morning, that we too have an inheritance. And just like in the story, when King David and said, look, I'm going to restore all your inheritance and everything will be yours. That we, too, have an inheritance that the king is giving us. And last week, I asked us to think about the question. Do we realize that one day Christ is going to come back and he's going to part the clouds and we're going to see him coming, riding in victory and that he's going to take us up to be with himself and we're going to inherit all that he has. This is a good daily practice for us. C.S. Lewis said this, that we don't think of heaven simply because our imaginations are way too small. We too have an inheritance in heaven with the king. But we don't often think about that. We can't get our minds around the fact because of all that is going on in this world. Can I just give you a few scriptures that tell us of what is about to take place for you and I? And as I mentioned last week, that it could be today for those of us who are Christians. And if it's not today, it's one day closer to the day when it will happen. But can you just hear the word of God, saints? First Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let that sink in. Christian who is angry at God because he hasn't given us what we want or things haven't worked out the way that we think they should. Or if he has pride control out of our hands. Listen to this verse again. What no eye has seen, this is the inheritance, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even imagine what is in store for us. But we know for sure that we will inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. He goes on in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's praying this prayer. He wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. Why? That we may know what is the hope to which he has called us. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to Toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Man, do you hear this this morning? That if you are a Christian who has said, I give up. I am spiritually crippled. 
and I can't trust myself anymore. I rather would put my trust in Christ to save me and give me life. Do you hear that if that is you this morning, that this is what is about to take place for you and I? A glorious inheritance that has been given to us by a king who wants to show us immeasurable kindness towards us. And there is nothing that can rob us from that. Colossians 1.12 Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 3.24 Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Hebrews 9.15, therefore he is the mediator, Jesus, of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Man, so many of us Christians, myself included, walk around angry, mad, frustrated, and joyless. We are so caught up in the things of this world that we have forgotten these spiritual truths. These spiritual truths, mind you, that we learn early on, but then we move from. As I said last week, as we looked at 1 Peter 1, we have to ask the question, what is this inheritance? And last week I said, everything that is God's will be ours. Even God himself, which is the greatest inheritance. God is going to restore all things and we will inherit all things. And if you and I would make this a part of our daily life. What's that saying that says, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Remember that saying? And like I heard like good Bible believing people say that. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Do you know that that's some garbage? It really is. That's not true. And if someone has said that, (laughs) then, you know, I'm not calling you garbage. I'm just saying you're really wrong, according to the Bible, (laughs) according to the Bible, not my authority. You see, we don't think about these things, even though the Bible continually calls us to think on the things that are above, think on the things that are good and true and right and what we are about to take in. But it's really hard for us to do that. And if you don't get anything this morning from this rambling mess that I call a sermon, get this. Make it a daily practice to just begin to imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus calls you home. And I know that's hard in the midst of suffering and trials and craziness. But the Bible actually flips That wrong illustration around. Actually, it should say, be so heavenly minded that you can actually be of earthly good. Think about the things of God. Think about the things that are to come often because it is too crazy here. We get lost and we need to say, wait, wait a minute. Today could be the day when Jesus comes back and gets me. And just begin to imagine that as we go through trials, as we question whether God is good or not, when things don't go our way. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, you have an inheritance that you can't even imagine. And it is going to last forever. The cancer that may be eating away at our bodies or some of the loved ones that we have. 
that's not going to last forever, as painful as it is. Our financial issues, they're not going to last forever. Our marital drama isn't going to last forever. But this inheritance that was given to us by a king is going to last forever. And this is the gospel we need to hear over and over again as we wrestle with our daily fears and our doubts and our ever-present sin. We just need to be reminded that we are sealed and guaranteed in the midst of how messed up we are of an inheritance. And the beauty of that inheritance is not necessarily that we get everything, but rather the most important thing is that we get to be with God. And that'll be the greatest joy that you and I could ever imagine. Because as I mentioned last week, even when in the, I think it was the evening service, when we just sang that song, when we looked at how great God is and we thought he's the name above all names, how many of you, well, no, don't raise your hands, but think about this. How many of you during that song and great as it was, and man, I was just feeling that there was still a part of you that would scattered. And you start thoughts started running through your head and you're like, oh, man, get back on track. Right. There's going to come a day where none of that is going to be the case. Can you imagine raising your hands and praising God for who he is without us being in the way? Without all these thoughts that run through our hurried and rushed mind. That is the greatest inheritance that you and I would see. The Bible says that right now we look dimly. Through like a gray glass. We can't even see because of our flesh and how messed up we are. But there's going to come a day where the veil is going to be removed. And we're going to see Jesus in all of his glory. And we're not going to be thinking about the football game. We're not going to be thinking about the crock pot at home. We're not going to be thinking about how bad my kids are. We're going to be worshiping the lamb that was slain and the king of all kings. And it's going to be just amazing. That is the greatest inheritance. In closing, let me just challenge us with a few things. I think we need to take on the same posture as Bo. When he answered King David and he said, your servant. We need to joyfully take the title servant as we serve our master who graciously saves us. Christian, please do not be mad at God. And he loves you. And although you don't have all the answers to some of the hard questions about your life, and at times God seems so distant and far away and silent, please don't be angry. He has demonstrated his love for you and I. He has proved himself that he knows what he is doing. He knows what's best for you. And he has your good in mind. Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is good and he loves you even when it feels like he doesn't. And I just want to read this passage to you as we close. Romans eight twenty eight. what I just said. But we're going to go a little bit further. And we know, hear this Christian who is struggling with the goodness of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Inheritance, not earthly inheritance. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And you can fill in the blank there. A messed up childhood. Cancer, illness, financial issues. Who shall separate us? What shall separate us? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able To separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friend, if you are here and you know that God has not saved you. And God has clearly revealed to you that you desperately need him. Then please receive this word of hope. Romans 5.8 says, but God has showed his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18, friend, says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Acts 13.38, Let it be known to you, therefore, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And finally, Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus, the King, and you will be saved. I hope this story gets us outside of ourselves and that we could actually answer the question this morning of whether God is good or not. So let me say this, and you guys do it with me. God is good. And all the time. Let's pray. Father, it is just such a daily battle to give over the reins of our life. God, so often I just feel like I know what's best for me. And God, I fight you a lot. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for our vain struggles against you. Father, forgive us for fighting for supremacy of our own little so-called worlds. Father, I love the promise that you can never be dethroned even though daily we try to do it God you are king and whether we like it or not that is never going to change so Lord please do a work in us that actually yields our lives to you because it's pointless to fight against The God who literally spoke us into being. So God, I pray this for myself and for the people in this room, Lord, that we would give over our careers to you. That we would give over our marriages to you. That we would give over our children that we love and try to protect from this world. Give them over to you. They are yours. 
We would give over our insecurities and our past and our histories. That we would give over our false sense of comfort and security. And that we would take this posture that Mephibosheth had and say, Lord, here we are, your servants. You are the king and we are not. You are God and we are not. And in the midst of this, Lord, I pray for our broken, finite minds and hearts. That in all of this, we would see that you're good. In spite of the fact that you don't do what we think you should do. Let us be reminded of your goodness and kindness that is shown toward us today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.